morning's scripture reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If there, that, if there then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks to the Holy Word. Thank you, Heather. Let's be in a spirit of prayer together. Let us pray. Creator God, be in us this day, be in our hearts, be in our minds, be in our homes, be wherever we are, God, and open us up, our ears and our hearts, that we might hear your word, be comforted by your word, challenged by your word, and changed by your word. Amen. And so from that text again, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Our finest hour, our finest hour, The date was June 18, 1940, the place, the island nation of Great Britain. On that day, it stood alone in the world, a solitary collection of 46 million people set against the might of the German Third Reich. In just two years, that war machine had rolled across most of Europe and Scandinavia, enslaving under its violent rule tens of millions of people now living under occupation. Britain's last ally, France, was on the edge of falling and would do so within days. There was no one left to help. America was for the most part neutral, and so now Hitler stood poised to bomb England from the air, to send hundreds of planes across the channel, to create fiery nights and deadly days, a summer of destruction. No one was safe. 
That situation was as dire as it could get. But then the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill gave what is perhaps his most famous speech, also giving the world the phrase, we now associate with people rising up, rising up in the worst of times and demonstrating not fear or selfishness, but instead the best and most noble of human behavior, courage and selflessness, our finest hour. This is what Churchill declared in a confident and rousing tone. If we can stand up to Hitler, then Europe will be freed. But if we fail, then the whole world will sink into the abyss of a new dark age. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and the Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. Their finest hour. Times in history and life when we humans remember that we actually do have within us much more resilience and strength than we might imagine. Times when we set aside our individual wants and needs and instead step up and make sacrifices for the common good and the greatest good. Times when faced with an overwhelming or scary event, like a war or a natural disaster, like a global pandemic. Times when instead of folding up or giving up or falling into cynicism, we instead live with hope. We stick together as a people, as a nation, and as a world, and we do what we must do to carry on. Our finest hour, humans at their best, doing their best, being their best, and not just for self alone, but for others too, and for God. Friends, the fact that I am standing in a nearly empty pilgrim church, and many of you are at home, sequestered, sheltered, behind closed doors with just close family and friends for company, the fact that within just the last 72 hours, our nation and world, our communities, have literally been turned upside down and almost brought to a complete halt by the very real worldwide threat to hundreds of thousands of people with illness, even death. Friends, we are living within times unprecedented in most of our lifetimes. Like the pilgrims, we have been talking about this Lent. We are now off the map. Fellow voyagers depending upon each other in our little boat as it sails across the waves of social dislocation in the unknown. And so each of us, as children of God, and so all of us, as a church, in community, as a state and a nation, and as a global family, friends, we have decisions to make now, daily, big decisions, about how we will act with and towards each other, strangers and friends about how willing we are to make sacrifices now for a good beyond our own individual good, about whether we will fall into panic or calm, strong resolve to get through these times or weak resignation to be overcome by these times. We are just at the beginning of times that can and must be our finest hour times that God is calling us and asking us and encouraging us as people of faith 
and followers of Jesus to be more than we might imagine we can be. To be kind, to be gentle, to be giving, to be compassionate. To recognize in St. Paul's words that now is the time to look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. To have in us the mind of Christ Jesus. A story at the first wedding I ever did more than 30 years ago, I was standing outside the sanctuary preparing to go in, and I noticed that the groom, who had just been by my side, he was missing, as was his father. Two minutes to show time, and they were not to be found, and so I gave my organist a nervous head nod to keep on playing, and I searched the church, and I finally found dad and son in the church parlor arguing, yelling, almost coming to blows. For it seems the dad had waited until this final moment to let his son know how he really felt about his future daughter-in-law. I had to separate them like a wrestling referee. I dragged them up to the church, and yes, the knot was tied, but I learned a great lesson that day. Friends, if you want to test the resilience and the strength of family bonds, of human bonds, just watch how folks act with each other at a wedding or a funeral at a wedding or a funeral. Times that put a strain and stress upon social ties that show us our real selves, if you will. Because friends, crisis always reveals character in humans or the lack thereof. Do you hear that? Crisis, meaning really any intense moment in life, a wedding, a funeral, a sickness, a job loss, and not just personally, but socially too, crises show who we are. In fact, that word crisis in the Chinese language actually has two roots, crisis as both danger and crisis as opportunity. Crisis reveals humans sometimes at their worst, danger, and thank God, sometimes at their best, opportunity. If you want to see what people are made of, really, really made of, if you want to see how strong your faith is or how bound we feel one to another as citizens or neighbors, pay attention in these days and weeks ahead how we act together in the midst of this crisis. You know, because we can go south, right? We can devolve into every man for himself, like that blow-up at that wedding 30 years ago or hoarding essential supplies, buying up all the toilet paper. What is that about? Or maybe cynically questioning whether or not all this fuss about something no worse than the flu, something I've heard way too many times this week from leaders, from others, that response really worries me. In crisis, as Christians too, we will find out if we have the right stuff, the God stuff in community and in church as people invited by God in the midst of crisis to go the extra mile, to be more merciful and more patient and more kind and more loving and less self-focused and more other-focused. Friends, this is our crisis. It is our moment of danger or opportunity when our character will be revealed or not? What then will the character be within us that will come forth in our church and in our nation, in our communities, in our families, 
in our leaders, crisis always reveals character. Another story and another historic date and time, it was the week of September 11, 2001. It was actually September 13th in the evening, only two days removed from the terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania. Do you remember those days? Everyone was anxious. Everyone was on edge. Everyone was not so sure about what was to come next, and some, some still wondered and worried about their loved ones. Would they be okay? So I was sitting at home in the parsonage, and the phone rang, and I answered. John? A kind of familiar voice said. Yes, I replied. It's Karen Savikovich from Church Youth Group in high school, remember? Karen, I say. How long has it been? Almost 20 years? Karen and I had been in a church youth group together in the 80s, and we'd gone to church camp together and been very good friends, good God friends, if you will. She continued, So, John, I'm in a car driving from Bentonville, Arkansas, back to Boston. When everything happened on Monday, all the planes were grounded, and so now I'm in a rental van with four other people I'd never met before. We actually just met at the rental counter at the airport, and we realized that we all needed to drive back to New England. And so we pulled our money, and we're on our way home. They're wonderful people. We're really watching out for each other. We've got another 800 miles to go. That's amazing, I said. So great that you found each other. It is, Karen said. And so as we drive, I'm calling the people in my life that I love. And I'm just checking in to see how they are and to say that I care deeply about you, John. How about you? Are you doing okay? I had to stop a second before speaking. My throat tightened up with emotion. I am, I said, and it's so great to hear from you. Are you okay? I am, she answered. I'm anxious to get back to my family. We spoke a few more minutes and then ended the call with, I love you. And as I sat all alone in my house, I was so moved by her one act of reaching out in the midst of a crisis, in the middle of a terrible time and the worst of times, and all to make a human connection, to say that she cared, to share her love and light when it felt so dark. Crisis reveals character. Crisis calls us, dear friends, to be our best selves as citizens and as humans and as Christians to reach out and not just pull in, to see how we can help those most at risk right now, the old and the sick and the lonely and the lost. How will this be our finest hour as we seek to support and pray for those on the front lines, doctors and nurses and scientists and first responders, how might this be our finest hour as a nation, making sure the ones most affected by the closures and the economic slowdown are helped, like single parents trying to figure out childcare and collect a paycheck, or your next-door senior who's isolated and wonders if anyone will reach out, or the poor, friends who are always poor, but in these weeks ahead, who will be even more poor. Or for the small business owner who needs us to support them, to continue with our business. 
What will we do as people of faith to help them? As neighbors and as a church, as pilgrims in 2020, as followers of Jesus, the one who dares us to be more than we think we are, to have more courage than we imagine possible, to be more giving, and not just when it is easy, but especially when it is hard to sacrifice in a crisis right now and in the days and weeks and months ahead. We are in unknown territory, but here's the gift. We are all in the same little boat together, in crisis, danger or opportunity, to rise up to be our best, to unite and come together for and with each other, to be more loving and hopeful, to be more kind than we might imagine we are capable of. God calls us into this, our finest hour as neighbors, as church members, as Americans, and as inhabitants of this big and beautiful planet that we call home. We can do it. We can do it with God and each other. Our finest hour. Let all God's people say, wherever you are, amen. If you have prayers that you would like lifted up and specific concerns or people, uh, if you're on Facebook Live right now, please type it out and I will make sure that we get that on our list. Um, or you can email me and I'll give you that address later. So let's be in a spirit of prayer together. And Friends, this is a prayer I found actually, a friend of mine, Joanne, found uh, online. It was written by a priest uh, just this week, Father Richard Hendrick. And so I'd ask you to... Uh, Listen to it, and to think about it, and to be in prayer. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness and even death. But they say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares, keeping their windows open, so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of a family around him. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting. All over the world, people are looking at their neighbors in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. So we pray and remember that. Yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. 
Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be diseases of the soul. And yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. And so today, today, God, we ask you to remind us to breathe, to just breathe, to listen as the birds are singing and the sky is clearing, to trust that spring is coming, that we are always encompassed by your love. God, remind us to open the windows of our souls, and though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, to sing, to believe, to hope, and to be together. Amen. Amen. And so normally we'd have the offering now. Um, I just want to remind um, folks, especially in the church that I serve, that we are so grateful for all the gifts of time and talents of money that we experience here in this very generous community. And just a request that we kind of keep that going in these weeks, no matter where we might be brought. And so now we're actually going to hear um, two stanzas uh, played on the organ by David. It's an old hymn. It's from 1936. It's called God of Grace and God of Glory, and many of us know it. It was written to dedicate Riverside Church in New York City, a beautiful, huge church. And it was written just as the United States was on the eve of World War II. And so Harry Emerson Fosdick wrote these famous words. God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of this hour and for the living of these days. Amen.